All right, everyone. Let's begin. Uh, to those who are new, I think I'm seeing some, some new visiting faces. To those who don't know me, I'm, my name is Lelo. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're continuing in our, in our series on God's design. Uh, oh, sorry, so Kaya's calling me. Could you answer him, Ricardo, and figure out what he wants from me? Just press the green button. There you go. Um, and then bring back that phone. I need it for what I'm about to do. Um, uh, great. Thank you. Today we're talking about God's design uh, for me. Uh, what I want to do today is to take you through scriptures that show what God would have men be. Okay? What men ought to aspire to be. And uh, you ladies are here, and the reason we didn't separate this, and the reason that we're doing this here at Young Adults is because you ladies need to know what men truly are. Lord willing, if God permits it, you might raise men yourselves. You need to know what kind of men you need to be raising. And you need to know what you, you, you ought to be calling out in your brothers around you in the church, what, what they ought to be. Now, I want to first just start by this. Who here, raise your hand if you did not grow up with a father in your house, with your, with your father? Raise your hand. Let's see. Okay, just, just raise it up properly. I just want to see statistically. Okay. Okay, great. Raise your hand if you have a horrible relationship with your father. Or you could, your, your relationship could be described as horrible or bad. Maybe he was absent even though he was there. Raise your hand. Let's see. Wait, are you raising your hand twice? So, oh, he wasn't there. Oh, okay. No, I'm talking about those now whose dad was there. Okay, that's like an overlapping graph. I'm talking about those whose dad was there, but you could describe your relationship with them um, and how they raised you as horrible or not optimal. Just raise your hand, let's see. Okay. Let me, let me read to you some statistics. The reason I made you raise your hand is because I just wanted to see even in here. But let me read to you some statistics here. 70% of black children in South Africa are without a biological father at home. So in one sense, this, this poll that we've just taken here is a bit of an anomaly. Uh, that's maybe because you guys, a lot of you guys are at university. A lot of the people that we're talking about here probably didn't even make it to university. 70% of black children live without homes. About uh, 24% of Indian children are without homes. About 20% of white children are without dads in their home. About 50% of colored children grow up without home, without their dads in the, ho- in the home. Um, these statistics are horrible. And this is what it leads to. Here are some of the impacts of either an absent father or a father. So when I, when I say absent, I mean a father who's not there at all. Or a father who's there, but is not raising you. Um, uh, first, the children have compromised physical and emotional security. security. 
Children consistently report feeling abandoned when their fathers are not involved in their lives, struggling with their emotions and episodic bouts of self-loathing and other such psychological behavioral problems. Um, children will have a vast amount of behavioral problems. We see this especially in the prison populations with the men who were troubled, fatherless boys and young men. Uh, the men who work to show off machismo, or machismo, however you say that word, as a mask for their real, real selves. Truancy and poor academic performance is also linked to fatherlessness. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Fatherless children have more trouble academically, academically scoring poorly on tests of reading, mathematics, and thinking skills. Other children from father-absent homes are more likely to play truant from school, more likely to be excluded from school, more likely to leave school at age 16, and less likely to attain academic and professional qualifications in adulthood. The impacts of fatherlessness extend into the realm of delinquency and youth crime as well. With the 8% number of youth in prison having an absent father, uh, the adults come from the same house arrangement. Fatherlessness becomes a predictor of who will be in prison. This impacts promiscuity and pregnancy rates too. Fatherless children are more likely to experience problems with sexual health, including a greater, greater likelihood of having sexual intercourse before the age of 16, uh, foregoing contraception during the first intercourse, becoming teenage par uh, parents, and, contract and contracting sexually transmitted infection. This shows in girls with an object hunger for males. They experience emotional loss of fathers, especially those who egocentrically reject them. Um, women become exploitable by the adult men in their lives. Um, one may surmise uh, the men become the exploiters with similar backgrounds, possibly. So, women become easily exploitable because they didn't have fathers, and possibly those who are exploiting the women also didn't have fathers. So on both of the sides, both the victimizer and the victim, both at the core, have a similar issue. They did not grow up with a godly father. I hope I'm, I'm painting a picture for you. You're seeing the kind of situation we're in. It should make you quiver that it can be said that there's a group in our country that 70% of them, this is a stat that came out this past month in uh, February, 70% uh, of some of, of a particular uh, you know, ethnicity group in our country, which is the largest ethnicity group in our country, does not have a father at home. And you will see this in a lot of the ways that these people act. That's why we have so many societal problems and issues, because there are no dads at home. But it doesn't help that you just have a father at home. If he's laissez-faire, he's not doing his job, he's going to hurt you. You need a good father, a good man, in the home. I'm, 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 I'm coming to this particular point about fathers because it really is at the core of a lot of what we're going to talk about this week and, and in two weeks' time when we talk about God's design for women. Fathers are the key cog by which God has ordered family life. Okay? 
In, in the society, God has put the government to be the cog that organizes order and brings, re- brings retribution to nonsense. Government's given that. In the local church, God has put elders. And they're the ones who are to bring God's word and bring order, as it were, in the local church. Well, in society, which is the, the, the most, the most, uh, the most uh, foundational aspect of that is in, in the raising up of people. In society, in homes, the most, you could say, the critic, the, one of the key cogs, if not the key cog, and I argue that it is the key cog, is a father. This is because the father has the leadership of the home and the father has the, has the work of teaching and instructing his family in the ways of the Lord. And when that is not there, we see these problems. So when you're looking at people and when you're even interacting with people, you know, when, when, I, when I'm talking to someone and I'm, I'm, and I'm hearing that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues here in the way that this person is talking, one of my first things that I wonder is, I wonder what their father's situation at home was. Because a child generally, the scripture builds this expectation that if a father is in the home and he is teaching his children right in the ways of the Lord, if that is the case, generally, proverbially, the scripture expects that that child will be flourishing. Teach a child, instruct the child in the way he should go so that he, when he's grown up, he depart, will not depart from it. Many such proverbs in the book of Proverbs that have this expectation that if a father is in his home, he's doing his job the right way, what you're going to get is, a, um, is you know, generally you're going to get an ordered society. Yeah, the society is not going to have a lot of problems if fathers are at home and doing their jobs. And unfortunately, fathers aren't at home, and those who are at home, from those who are at home, they're not doing a very great job. Now, I say this all because I want to arouse you men. I'm going to look you in the eye. I want to arouse you men to take up the mantle of being men properly. There is a lot of responsibility that in God's design, God has placed on your shoulders as a man. The responsibility that God has given to you is is weighty and it will not be achieved by you playing video games. Okay? You will not you will not be able to get to it and fully realize it if your energy is focused on things that do not matter. You men, now again, please, I'm not I'm not talking against video games. I'm just making an example. Like if your energy is just all about Things that do not matter in the grand scheme of things. You will, you will end up yourself causing problems in your life. And if God gives you children, you will mess up their lives. You need to take it seriously. The call to be a man is a call. It is a call that God has given to you to have the vision for the home. Vision for society. Vision for how life should work. You should not slack on this. This is something, when you become a man... You are, you are to take up the mantle of somebody who is an image bearer of God, ordering the world that God has made. It's a serious call. And I want to look you guys in the eyes today and give you this, this calling. And I want to, my aim today is to try and arouse you in some shape or form to catch the vision of what it is that you're called to and to not flunk it. 
okay, to not uh, think that you know you're just you're growing up and you're just gonna you can just do what you want to do. Uh, you, your career choice has no meaning. What you do during your week has no meaning. No, it has a lot of meaning because you're an image of God who is called a man. I want to tell you something. It is good to be a man. It's wonderful to be a man. Praise God that God has made you a man. But it comes with responsibility. It is not something flimsy. It is something that, you see, you have to earn the right to be called a man. Okay? There's boys and then there's men. And men have to earn the right to become a man. That's why cultures having the image of God in them, have it ingrained in them that there has to be some kind of rite of passage. There has to be some kind of thing that you do for you to no longer now be called a boy, but now you're a man, because it's ingrained. There's something that becomes, there's something that says you need to prove yourself as a man. Now you can be trusted um, with, with God's world. Now you can be trusted to be considered a head of something. Oh, ladies, don't worry. You guys, your turn is coming in two weeks. Just <laughs> while you're sitting there comfortable, it's, it's, it's coming to you. Just, I'm just, let me just focus on these guys for a second. What I want us to do um, is I'm going to split you up in groups of five. I have five texts for you. And I want us to do this really quickly because I want to spend more time me talking to you than you doing this today because I think this is really crucial. So I'm going to give you, let's say it's 7-Eleven now. I'm going to give you, well, let me first uh, split you up in groups of five. So let's just say up until Untabi Seng, that's the first group. Oh, wow, there's no guy there, which is fine. Uh, over until you, Sissy, that's one group. Uh, from Gugu up until uh, that sis at the back there, you guys, the back row, you guys will form one group. Starting with Shuluba, up until Ukaya, you guys will be the, the, is that the fourth group? Yeah, the fourth group. And then from you all the way to here, uh, you guys will be the last group. Group one, I'm going to give you Genesis 1, verse 26 to 31. Group one. Uh, verse, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Group two. I'm going to give you Genesis 2, verse 5 to 25. Actually, can I get, like, can I just get the two of you? Um, uh, Margot and, um, and uh, Dineo, could you just come and swap with these two guys? Yeah, just, just swap. No, 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 these two, these two, these two. No, you, you yeah, yeah, you, you, the two of you, yeah, yeah. You go over there, yeah, yeah. Let's go swap. I just want there to be guys there. Because it will be really sad if there's no guys in the discussion. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse, uh, Genesis 2 from verse 5 to 25. Group number 3, I'm going to give you 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Sorry, sorry, group, group 3 is the group that starts off from Google behind you, though. Behind you guys, so not, not this row, because you guys will see each other in separate row. So over there, you are you are the same group up until Urezo. Sorry, was it Kaya? 
Yeah, up until the five. Yeah. And then from Urezel, from Urezel. Yeah. So, uh, so group three, I'm giving you 1 Corinthians chapter 16, April 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. And then I want you to specifically focus on verse 13. And I want you to write also down 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9. And 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. I want you to use those three verses together. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 1 Samuel 4, verse 9. And 2 Samuel 10, verse 12. This group, um, uh, uh, group 4, I'm giving you Isaiah 66, verse 2. Just verse 2. Isaiah 66, just verse 2. And then group five, um, I'm giving you uh, Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. And guys, you, you guys, have, I haven't given you instructions yet. Yeah, you just wait. Hey, you just start writing an exam without reading instructions. Just wait. Just, what I want you to do is... is Write down five things from your text that are a practical application of what is a man from that. What is God's man from those texts that I've given you? I want you to labor, work out to give me five things from those texts. It's gonna be a bit it's gonna be a bit more work for some than others. That's why I've kind of made some groups bigger than others. But five things and paint the picture of God's man from that verse. Are you with me? I'm going to give you 15 minutes for this task. At 7.30, we'll come back together. Go. Alright. Alright. So. Okay, guys. That's it. Please turn your seats around again. Let's, um, let's come back together. Um, I just started. Okay, cool. So, I want us to quickly work through these. So, let's just uh, pay attention uh, to whoever's going to be pre- just telling us from their group. So, group one, your text was Genesis 1, verse 26 to 31, isn't it? Uh, let, let me read the text. Okay, guys, let's, uh, let's go to these texts together now. And we'll work our way through them. Let me read the text. Huh? Genesis 1, verse 26 to 31. Oh, in case you're wondering, since Genesis is the first book in the Bible, eh? Don't go to table of content. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. What did you guys say, or what did you guys think of the key five things that we can take away about what a man is, or what a man should be from that text? He is made in God's image. Yeah? And um, it's related to dominion, to wealth, uh, to be fruitful, to take it to fruitful as he brought it. And um, to multiply. So we need to, to procreate. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> I, just, I was waiting for the different points. Point, well, which one's point one? Which one's point? Okay, point number one. Okay. What do we understand by that phrase? That a, a man is made in the image of God. What do we understand by that phrase? What do you think that phrase means? Man is made in the image of God. Of course, both of them, man and woman. But we're talking about the men, the man here, the actual male here. What does it may mean that man is made in the image of God? You guys, I'm sure you guys discussed it. But I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, I want us to open up just that idea. So, well, man is created for relationship because we know that God, we have created right? so Okay. And then it's a relational being. So mm-hmm. they are human beings, most importantly, with God. Yeah. Okay. Man is a wife for relationship, that's true. Social being, social creature. Yeah. When you say attributes of Christ, you, you mean because there's certain things that Christ is that a man can't be, ever. Um, Christ knows everything. Man can't know everything. What, what, what specifically are you looking at when you say... Good. This is this is good. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this? What other thoughts did you guys have in that group? Yeah. I think so. The other point is that the point is from this first one. Yeah. Uh, Would actually be because the man is made of God. Yeah. So it's like uh, working, creating. Yes. Follows. Yes. Uh, because of that first. Part. Because of that first part. This is what I want to focus on here, guys. Uh, what has been happening in Genesis 1? 
Because the answer to this question, sometimes when we know when we're looking for the answer, what does it mean that human beings are made in the image of God? We, we usually just try and fill that, answer that question with other texts in the Bible, uh, which is fine. Uh, but actually, Genesis 1 itself gives us a lot uh, to work on to try and understand this. What has been happening in Genesis 1 so far? What's been happening is, look at verse 2 of Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What, what, what idea are you getting about the created universe so far? In verse 2. Chaotic? Yeah, lacks structure. Because it's without what? It's without form. And it's void. It's just as it, 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 when something is void, it needs to be filled. The, 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 the whole language is trying to press on the idea that this is not complete. Are you with me? And then, when God is done with it, when God is done working... Look at what it says in verse 31. This is why I included verse 31 in your reading. Look at what it says in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What has happened in Genesis 1 is that God has created order out of chaos. Not chaos per se, out of formlessness. God has created structure. From the time when God starts working after he's created this place and we're told that there's this formlessness, and then from right from that point, God starts working on the structure. Even the structure of how everything works here is telling us that there's now order, now there's days, now there's light, now things are separated. Things aren't, you know, convoluting on each other. Things are separated. From each other. There's now darkness and light. There's a day that gives that gives way to another day. There's a there's a greater light that gives way to a lesser light, which gives way to the greater light. There's now order and function and rhythm in the universe. When for that however long that split second was in verse two, there wasn't that. When I ask you, what does it mean that a man is made in the image of God? Part of your answer needs to include that he is like God in ordering and ruling over things that are underneath him. You understand what I'm saying? He is to be like God in creating order. Challenges that men, unfortunately, uh, use their creativity and their intellect and their initiative to create disorder, right? They create chaos in people's lives. Um, but that's not what a man should be. A man is the one who's supposed to be um, applying himself to create order, just like God did, to work to such a degree where you can say it's good. So this is what, this is what a being a man means. This is what uh, God's man, being God's man means. It means not handing in a not well done assignment. You with me? 
You with me? I'm touching you where I know it hurts. And I know Margot, the lecturer, is going to say amen. Because <laughs> she's used to dealing with your nonsense assignments. But, but that's what it means. A, 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 a man is no man who can say, this is acceptable. Because God did not rest. He did not rest up until he was able to be satisfied and say, this is very good. And that's when he took his rest. Some of you, some of, men in challenge, some of the challenges that man has, especially since the fall, is that men take rest before the work is very good. You only take rest once the work is properly done. And you have to give yourself to whatever it is that is being done, specifically because you are made in the image of God. Now, this does not necessarily mean that the, the image of God is lessened in you if you are you know, used to doing things in a, in a, in a foolish way because the image, you, you have the image of God. That's who you are. You are made in the image of God regardless of where you are in life, what you look like. It doesn't matter. You are made in the image of God. But, the, but, but what follows from the statement that you are made in the image of God has a requirement that you ought to act like God. You are given responsibilities like God. So he says here, look at what he says here. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you understand? The human beings have, been create, have the highest station in terms of order on this planet. Now, there's, there's really no way to be arrogant about that. We are the species of this planet. Where does that come from? It doesn't come because we're so wonderful. And once it does, it comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. The, the idea of an image of God is, is an idea of what is called a vice-regent, which is uh, uh, you, you, are, you are his representative in this place that he has given you to rule. So what medievally, in, uh, sorry, not medievally, ancient, in ancient kingdoms, what would happen sometimes is that a king would, would, would have his vice-regent be in charge of a particular area and he would have essentially, and he would speak on behalf of this particular king. And whatever this, his, his word is this king's word. He's acting on behalf of this word. You know, you, an example of this you'll see is in the story of Joseph and Pharaoh. Remember when Pharaoh said, I'll give you, you know, he became essentially, Pharaoh, Joseph became Pharaoh's second-hand man, like right-hand man. He became the most important person just underneath Pharaoh in that story. That's what it was. It was a vice-regent, which means that when Joseph speaks in Egypt, people know this guy speaks for Pharaoh. This guy is supposed to act and, and treat and... and um, and conduct himself like Pharaoh. If he acts in a way that's contrary to Pharaoh, there's going to be a serious retribution on him because he is representing Pharaoh um, amongst the Egyptians. So in the same sense, it's the same thing. Human beings are made in the image of God and they are given the authority to a lesser degree that God has over the earth, ruling, subduing, having dominion, eating, right, lawfully, Okay. 
This is, a very, this is very important to understand uh, if you're going to be a man properly. If you want to be a God's man, you need to understand that you are not here on this earth haphazardly for no reason. Or you're not, you're not here on earth uh, just to make your way and figure out things the way that you want to figure out. You know, do your own quirky things, what you like to do. You're not, that's not what you're here for. You are here to represent God. Right? You, you are here, men, you are here to represent God. All of your actions, all of your behaviors, all of your thoughts, everything is going to be tested against that standard. How much did you represent the maker who made you? You see? So, and what comes with that is the authority, the, this dominion aspect to it, this subduing the earth, which is given both to the man and the woman. So this applies to both, and we'll talk about it specifically with the ladies next week, uh, in two weeks' time. But for you men, what, what comes with that is you, in this, in this design of subduing and having dominion over the earth, in that design, God gives you the vision. He gives it to men. Now, this is something that's very offensive, and people don't like this in our modern age, but I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible, okay? I'm just a guy who's paid to tell you what it says. Your problem is not with me, your problem is with the one who wrote it. Take it up with him, go to prayer. Okay, go pray, and take it up with him. I'm not the one who made it, okay? Men are the ones who are given vision. Men are the ones, when, when I say by vision, I mean they're the ones who are given the task of leadership. Um, if you read in the scriptures, you will see that God gives leadership in society, in the church, and in the home to men. This is not because women are inferior or anything like that. It is because God is a God of order. And in his ordering of things, this is the way he has decided to do it. They are both made equal. Both of them are made, male and female, made in his image. Both of them are equal in, in, uh, in, in creative facilities and all of those things. There's nothing less in the female. But God has decided to give particularly to the male the vision, the leadership of what needs to be done and how it needs to be carried out. So, take, me, take it seriously when I say, men, take it seriously when I say that when you see society faltering around you, it is because of people like you. Men, when you see churches faltering, it's because men are not leading the way they should be. Right? Men have been given that responsibility and it is up to you to take up the mantle to fix things and to order things alongside our sisters. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to, talk to the sisters how that works for them, how that fits in. But men, you are the ones who have been given this task and it will be such a disappointing thing if you do not take it up and do it. If you do not take it up and do it, you're going to get a society the one like the one we have today. Do you have a question?
would say that's absolutely despicable. The reality is, though, is that it is the reality in most cases. In a lot of cases, it is a reality. Because that's when men aren't being men. Um, hand, they're handing over what they're supposed to be doing. Um, men, yeah, yeah. No, just, uh, so similarly, I can say this very, very confidently. All the social ills that we see in the world today are because of men. Because God has given the men to lead and to, to order things. And they have decided to not do their job. How can I say that? Because it began in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? There was a man who was right there next to his wife. And, and said nothing and allowed this thing to speak to his wife. Not because the wife is inferior or anything, but this thing came to his wife because he knew that all this thing, he knew that what he needs to do is just subvert the order. Mess up the order. And this, this guy just stood there. Oh, okay. The whole conversation, oh, you guys are like, oh, no, there's a food. Oh, no, it began there. If Adam had just, as soon as the thing started speaking and saying, did God, sure, did God really say you shouldn't eat of anything? You should have just said, hey, hold on. Who are you? Why are you speaking to my wife? If he had done that, man, man, life would be great right now. Ah. I mean, we wouldn't have been scattered. We'd probably all be looking the same because we wouldn't have been scattered at Babel to look different the way we look different today. There's so much that would be different. You know, maybe there would be no continents because of the continental drift, because of the flood. I mean, there's so many things that would be different if that one do. There'd be, probably there would be no mosquitoes as well. There'll be no mosquitoes, there'll be no nuance. We'll just be enjoying life. The, but... but but listen to me, guys, like, seriously, all the social ills that we see around us are because of men. And I want to call you men to take up your mantle. We, we can't change the world. We don't want you to, to think that way. Oh, I'm going to change. But you, you can change the world that God has put you in. You can affect what you can. Be men. Um, he had his hand up. Yep. And guys are happy to are happy for that. I mean, I was watching. I remember watching a clip of one comedian who's saying, "Yeah, guys, don't say anything, you know, when it comes to abortion and all of that, because you know, you guys aren't involved." 
I'm like, that's nonsense. Men are the ones who are to lead in everything. They're the ones who are supposed to be providing protective and supportive environments for everybody's gifts to flourish, including their own. So there's no, there's no conversation that a man can't speak on because this is, part of, uh, this is part of what God has given. God has given them the leadership. Um, and so for, for you to be proper men, for you to be men who do what God says, you need to acquaint yourself. And if, let me put it this way. For you to be men who act like God, you need to acquaint yourself with God. Yeah? Did you have a hand up? Yes. Yes. So it's not just, I mean, you have to understand, it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, you know, this only applies in like a marriage relationship even. No, it applies in all spheres of society because if men are doing their jobs in all spheres, if all men, imagine with me a, a, a planet, let's call this planet Mars, where men exist and they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing. Just imagine for a second. A planet that exists where men are doing what they're supposed to be doing. All of them. Every single one. To the last man. There's simply, there's, there's no space for chaos. Because there's, there's, there's order. They're doing, they're taking the initiative. They're making sure that people are protected. They're making sure that everybody's flourishing. Human flourishing is really dependent on what men are doing. And when men are not taking up the responsibility, we have what we have today. I mean, think of, think of 10 social ills. I can trace for you each, each and every one of them to a man somewhere who's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Probably not one man, it's usually a number. Just think about it. Rape? Well, that's obvious. GBV? Well, that's obvious. Right? Teenage pregnancy? It's also right in your face. If you just think about it for a second. You see, there's someone somewhere who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Corruption in government? Someone somewhere is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. If all men just took their task seriously, we'd be in much better shape. Um, so let me, just, let me just encourage you men, and let me encourage you to take up the mantle, to, to take it seriously that you are made in the image of God and you are to bring order to His world that he left you on. You are not here to coast. You're not here just to, just to exist. You're here to bring order to God's world. He has put you here for that reason. And it is your task to do it. 
Now, I hope that you would be men who would do that. I hope you would be men who take seriously the fact that you are a man and you have that great honor, privilege, and responsibility to lead a society in the right direction. Let's go to the next one. Group two. You guys had Genesis chapter 2 from verse 5. Let me read. Uh, oh, wow, this is a long passage. Well, just tell us about the passage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I gave you a long I gave you guys a long passage. Go ahead. Okay, these points are excellent. Did you guys, did everybody hear that? Good points. Uh, a man is to be obedient to God. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to jump over that because I want to talk about that when we get to this group. So we're going to jump over that, that, that first point. Some of these points overlap. Um, but I, I do want to talk about this, um, this particular thing that's going on here where you see that we're now zooming in on the, in what's happening in Genesis 2 uh, is that we're now zooming in on the sixth day. So Genesis 1 is like a flyby, quickly, you know, it wants to show us that God is creating order and everything. And then Genesis 2 kind of takes a step back and zooms in on day 6, so the creation of the, of the, of the, of the man and the woman. And of course, the man has been made, he's been planted there, and then now the woman hasn't been made yet. And before the woman is made, there's this whole thing that happens in this, in this day. And what happens is that the man is shown, is paraded these animals, paraded these, these, um, these animals here that, uh, uh, that he needs to name. That is an important thing. Uh, who gave man his name? Was not a trick question. You guys are so nervous. Am I used to tricking people? Why do people look at me like that sometimes when I ask some of the most obvious questions? Generally, guys, when I ask you a question, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's nothing sophisticated, okay? God gave him his name, but now he's given the authority to name everything. And, but while all these other animals it's, are being paraded in front of him, there's something that's growing in him. There's this, you can say, loneliness. It's growing in him. There's nothing that's found. It says that there's no one who's found who's a helper that is fit for him. And so God puts him to sleep and makes a woman out of him. The woman comes from man and then he jumps out in song. I mean, it's an amazing thing. He, like, he looks at it's like you know, one of those cartoon moments where the eyes go out. Like, you know those cartoon moments? He just like he looks behind and he's like, I was busy looking at elephants and like chicken butts and all these things. I've been looking at snakes and all of these animals and now here you are. What a breath of fresh air. Like amazing. And he, he bursts out in, po in, in poetry and he goes, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now there's so much, so much is going on here. One of the things I want to show you is that uh, the fact that man was first is used later in the Bible to show that man is to lead. Okay? The fact that man was made first shows the pre not, not, not his more importance before God or his higher value, but in the order. When God is busy creating the sun, then the moon, and then creating this, then creating that, then creating this, then creating that, man was made first communicating the fact that he is the leader. Okay, in the rest, in the, I could show you in 1 Timothy 2, for example, it shows, uh, 1 Timothy 2 from verse 11, you can go read it. It shows that because man was made first, uh, he's the one who is to lead. That's one. But second, this guy's a romantic. I didn't know if you saw that. This guy's quite a romantic. Bursts out in poetry. And the name even changes. In Hebrew, you are reading in English, you're reading, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Well, before this, the name for man, the Hebrew name that was used for man was the word, it was the name uh, Adam, similar to 
close to the name to the word Adama, so the earth. But it's the name Adam just means man. But now the word that's used here is Yish, which means fire. Are you seeing it? You, 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 you got it. Thank you. Thank you. You, you, you. you got what I was saying. She shall be called Isha, fire, because she came out of Yish, fire. All of a sudden there's talk of fire. There was no talk of fire before. Before he was just a man, Adam, like the ground. He was just a dusty, crusty man. Now there's talk of fire. See, there's so much that's in here shows you the connection between the man and the woman. They are essential to each other. They need each other. And their, their connection is a wonderful connection. Um, but she is to come to help him and to work with him. Now, I'm going to explain more what helper means when we come in two weeks' time. Um, but you must understand here that the man then has responsibilities because Isha came from him. He is now to protect her. Just like she came from out of his rib... He is now to work to protect her, to ensure that she has what she needs to nourish her, like when Paul says, like he nourishes his own body. Um, and a key part of what happens here is because Isha exists, okay, I want you to notice this, because the woman exists, the man now cannot loaf around and sit in his mom's and dad's house. Do you, look at this. Do you see this? It says, here, look at verse 23. Genesis 22 says, Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Because Isha exists, a man needs to leave his, heart, leave his mom and dad's house. Which means... That this is now the creation of each family unit. And the ideal family unit. Now I understand some of you are going to struggle with this. Because maybe the family units that you grew up in. And all of this. And that's sad. But the reality is that the ideal family unit. Is one that has one man. The head. And Isha. The wife. And the children growing there. This is setting up the pattern. And a man. Therefore cannot pursue Isha. If he's not out of his mother and father's household. If there's no route to being out of his mother and father's household. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot say, come, let's live off of my mom and my dad. No. That's going to create problems. I don't care what you think. You think you're an exception. No, our love is going to make it work. It won't. <laughs> I'm telling you now. It won't. This is not because of what you're doing. You're breaking the design. The design is leave your mother and father, go create another unit, and in that unit, uh, flourish together. Now, I saw some hands. There were a flurry of hands at some point. Yeah. yeah um, well, this, this is really Could you just go ahead, because I'm cutting you, just go ahead and take, and take down the thing, yeah. Okay. Thanks, man. You can put it back after. Okay, my question is about, or rather it's, 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 it's more of a, it's sort of the idea of, let's say, God creating, uh, not that it's the sole reason, about God creating 
sorry, what, what's problematic? Like the idea that um, God gives Adam the responsibility to name all the yeah. animals he sees and he sees the players and stuff, and then that he gets lonely because he doesn't, he wasn't necessarily a, a part of himself. I don't know, I wouldn't know, but it's a very common idea written in a number of places, but I don't really know exactly where, you know, what biblical, you know, what, what you should say. Biblical evidence to have this. What we, So what are, what are you struggling with? I'm, I'm trying to understand. Are you struggling with, with the idea that, mm-hmm. are you saying what came first? Was it God's determination to make Eve? Or was it yes. the, the loneliness, as it were? Yes. I, yeah. I don't see it in the text. So, yeah. So what, what came first was a determination because we're told in chapter 1 that they were both made. So there was, there was always, it wasn't like Eve was never going to come. Like maybe Adam was going to, you know, find solace in a chicken and then decide and then like it's going to work out, you know, like, no, no, it was always going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? It it was always going to happen, it was a determination. But God takes Adam through a process where it becomes evident that from the animals that are there, why does it, why does it even go through this whole thing about animals? God takes Adam through a process that from the animals that are there, none of them are a helper that is fit for him in the task that he needs to do. And the, and the reason for that is because God has said he is alone. So when, I guess when the idea is that he's alone, he's not... Maybe, maybe you have, a, maybe you have a, like the romantic idea of loneliness. Oh, I'm lonely, I'm alone. No, no. The, 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 the loan comes from the the man should not be alone. Okay. So he's, he's uh, all, of, like we, we use the term loneliness in a different way, like the person is a, is a loner. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, so it's sort of a different interpretation to the word. It's more about he is alone in doing the task that God has called him to. He needs someone to help him. He can't do it alone. Sure. And so because of that, God then takes him through this process where it seems as if he himself then gets to feel this, the fact that no one's a fit helper here. He's not just naming these animals. He's trying to also find a helper. And no one's a fit helper here. And then the woman is made. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, no, no. That's a fairy tale. That's not the story of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's move on. Um, was there another question? There was another Yeah. yeah, he was poetic. Right? He became fire. Yeah. Okay. Everybody clear on this? Okay. Um, uh, third, third text. You guys have the smallest one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. This is, Paul, uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians at the end, giving them final instructions. And he says to them, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Okay? Guys, do you have a spokesperson? What did you guys come up with from, the, from this text? I also gave you guys two texts in Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, right? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Any anything else you guys found from the other texts? So I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I gave you first Samuel four. Yeah. Which says? Could you read for us? Second Samuel, chapter ten, verse twelve. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I want to just push on one particular thing. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, 
it's one of the few times where the Bible says, act like men. Where it says, be like a man. Which means we need to ask the question, what do you mean, be like a man? You see what it says there? It says, act like men. Wait, whoa, 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 Paul, what do you mean, act like men? And one of the things that tells you what act like men is, is when you go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9, and 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. That phrase is a phrase of courage. It says, stand up to issues. What, what Paul is doing here in this context is he's giving the church his final instructions to them. He's giving them a bunch of different things, you know. And, and particularly this one, he's now saying, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. But the thing that he seems to be concerned about is this, this strength, this, this firmness of being watchful, of standing firm in the faith, of being strong and acting like men. And what we mean when we say act like men, we say be courageous. I'm going to pick on you guys now, but I, I need to say this so I can get the point across. Gentlemen, there's just no space for a guy who comes and says, I'm so afraid of being rejected. <laughs> There's no space, guys. There really isn't. A man is to be courageous. There is no... Gentlemen, gentlemen. There is no space for a man who says, God has given me a task. I need to seek out this task, but I'm just so afraid to do it. <laughs> gentlemen, there is no space for that in God's man. God's men are to be courageous. If the Bible says act like men, it's assuming that men have some backbone. That men can actually take a task and do it. There's a lot of assumption in that phrase. When it says act like men, it's saying stand firm and do the thing that's in front of you that you must do no matter the cost, no matter the requirement. Do it because you're a man. It's one of the very few times where a, a positive virtue is said in specific terms to men. There's other positive virtues, like when uh, in uh, Isaiah 49, the Lord says, you know, I care for you like a mother cares for her children. Well, that's another virtue, right? That, that nurturing idea is mostly mother, it's a motherly thing. But this one, it's a man thing. It's not even a father thing or a young man thing. It's a man thing. Men are expected to have a backbone to stare danger in the face. And if God's word requires that a man go through danger, whatever the danger, a man is going to go through it. This is not talking about necessarily going to the gym. Does, it's, it's not. Now, going to the gym is good, and I would, I would say that there's other texts that talk about you should go to the gym and exercise, and make sure that you're, you're physically strong. That's a good and biblical thing as well. But this is not necessarily what this is talking about. This is talking about fortitude, strength of character, a flintness, setting your face. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, being the exemplary man, he set his face like flint to do the will of God. 
He set his face, he set his face sharply and said, This is the will of God, right there. Not there, not there, there. This is the will of God. And it requires me to walk carefully and directing myself specifically to the will of God. I'm going to apply everything within me, every ounce of energy, to do the will of the one who made me. That is a man. A man is not a flimsy, double-minded character. You're with these people, you're like this. You're with these people, you're like that. James talks about that man and says, that man is useless. James talks about that man. He says, if you're praying to God and you're asking God give me wisdom, but you're doubting that God is even there, what's the point? Why are you praying to God, asking God to give you wisdom when you're doubting that He's even there and you're doubting that He even wants to give you wisdom? What's the point? Why are you even doing this thing? Don't be a double-minded man. It's the same thing. A man is one who is to be courageous and strong with the course that is in front of him. To take it, to bear the brunt. Hardships, rejection, uh, are thorns in the work, hard things, hard conversations. All of these are things that are part and parcel of being a man. You can't say, I'm going to avoid this conversation because it's hard. No, the real question is, does this conversation need to happen? Who do you think is going to call out your brother who's in sin if you don't call him out? Who's going to do it? Matthew 18 tells us that if your brother sins, you go and call him. Yeah, but it's ish. Uh, maybe pastor is going to talk to him. <laughs> no, it doesn't say if your brother sins, call the pastor. It says if your brother sins, go to him. Yeah, but it's an awkward situation in fair to all the... Hey, Baba, go to him. Um, uh, text number four. Yeah. Mm. And he will not, not do something that God's word says 
trembles, so we also said he's got fear. Um, he fears the Lord. So we discussed the text of um, how the husband is to love the wife like Christ loves the church. Yeah. Right? That, that should scare any husband to be like, wow, that's a big calling. You, know? mm, you mm. should tremble. You should have the fear of God's fear. Yeah. great and the one that I want to zone in on um, is the fact that he trembles at God's word um, all, of the, all of that is excellent uh, uh, gentlemen uh, if you are still able to debate with God's word you're not acting like a man if you still if God can say a and you say, yeah, but... <laughs> if that's you, you're not acting like a man. You're not. Because a true man trembles. You understand trembling? Trembling is this, Baba. <laughs> like, this is trembling. You understand? God says, ah, you go, you fall down on your face. I'm being serious. You do, not, you do not debate with God. You do not debate with God. Now you can ask him to understand. Help me understand, Lord. Help me understand. Help me, help me out here. That I'm dependent upon you to help me understand what your word means. I'm struggling. But if you are still saying, yeah, but that's what you say. What about this theory here? Okay, you're saying that, but you know, here's some statistics here. Are you, are you sure about this? If you're doing that, you're not a man. And I'm telling you, ladies, if I'm... Oh, ladies, get away from guys who do not tremble from God's word. Get away, because you've got no protection. Right? <laughs> you've got no protection. If a guy does not tremble at God's word, then what do you think... On what authority... What... On... What are you basing your, your, basing your trust of him on? Like, what is it that you trust him? Because this guy doesn't tremble at God's word. So God will say, don't do this. And he, and he says, yeah, but let's know. I'm being serious about this. <laughs> Trembling at God's word is at the very core of who Adam was meant to be. That is why Adam failed. Adam did not take God's word, put it in its place, and prize it the way he should have. Adam followed his wife Eve in assessing God's word. 
and saying, yeah, God, that's what God said, but let's just put that aside. Let's assess these other things here using our own wisdom. Let's look at these other categories of life using our own wisdom. If you're doing that, you're not acting like a man. And people who do that are destroyed by God. So, so I'm going to encourage you, gentlemen, recapture, go to, your, go to your room, go to your knees, pray to God that God will give you a healthy and lasting fear of Him. Pray, God, make me be terrified at you. Make me be afraid that when you speak, I move with my whole being. I do not just... I do not become desensitized. Father, let me, be, let me be led by you and every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Whenever there was... It's, it's interesting, on two occasions, there's a situation about food. And Jesus says, my will is to do the will of... My food is to do the will of God. It's when Satan comes to him and tempts him and says, Yeah, make this word and says, No, don't you know that a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? And then it's when his disciples are going to Samaria and he wants to do his, the will of the Lord by sharing the gospel with this woman at the well. And they say, Okay, but let's go get some food. And he says, I've got food that you guys don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of the Lord. Let it be more important to you than food. Rather starve, literally, rather starve to death than not tremble at God's word. Rather starve, rather don't eat. And I'm going to encourage you, if you feel like this is a deficiency in your life, if you feel like taking God's word seriously and taking uh, God's precepts seriously in your life is a challenge for you, I would encourage you, man, fast about that thing. Seek God's face. Ask Him. Because this is like, this is, this is grade one. This is, you, will, we will not, you will not progress anywhere further. You're going to be stagnant where you are for the next 20 years. Unless you get this right. God said, and I asked Him how high. No questions asked. You know... Sometimes when I say this to men, they, they come back at me and tell me about all these examples in the Bible where, where people went back and forth with God. As if that makes it... That, as if that makes it... The, the example that's used is when Moses was answering back to God. Okay, when God said, go to, my, go to Egypt and do this. Uh, go to Egypt and do this. And Moses was saying, no, but me now, I'm like this and I'm like that. And then you see, you see, God didn't destroy Moses, so it's fine. No, God was, God was being long-suffering with Moses. If Moses, exactly, if Moses was mature, a mature, proper man before God, he would have said, yes, God, okay, I can't speak, I, I struggle with this, but God has said it, so God has said it, so it must be done. None of, even Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God said to him, you're going to be my prophet. He says, no, I'm a youth, I'm afraid, I'm this. And God says, don't you dare say that to me. I made you before you were born. I know you when I made you. I know what I made you for. Now that I'm telling you to go, you're going to come and tell me. You're going to come and negotiate with me. Who do you think I am? The man in Romans chapter 9, who is told 
that God, that God does what He wills with the creatures that He has made, answers back and says, but God is being unjust. How can this be justice? And the answer that he's told in Romans 9 is that, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Like I said, I don't write the Bible, I'm just paid to tell it to you. <laughs> Your problem's not with me, your problem's with the one who wrote it, so go pray. But this is being serious, guys. We, we are to be a people who are like the Lord Jesus Christ, who tremble at the word of God. Whatever God says we do, even if it seems like we don't understand, we don't understand the wisdom in it, it seems like it's, it's counterproductive even, you know, it, it doesn't seem possible, all of these things. No, if God has said it, that's all I need to know. Did God truly say this? If God truly says it, done. That's, how, that's where my house and I will go. You guys with me? Yeah? Okay. Last one. This group. Oh, yeah, there's the verse as well, right? Matthew 22. Let me, let, let me read the verse. I gave you Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Let me read it for you, for the rest so that everybody else can hear it. But when the Pharisees heard that, that he had silent the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of, them asked a law, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
It's it's fine. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. It's full authority, and he spoke. He was a man of conviction. Um, so I think that is why yeah. he should be a man of conviction. Yeah. So th- these are all good things. These are all very very good things that a man should indeed be. I wanna, I want to draw your attention, and it would be good if you have this in front of you, to here in Matthew twenty-two. I wanna draw your attention to these two commandments. The greatest commandment. And the one that is like it, the, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor for yourself. You understand that God here is commanding that a human being should have as their entire focus, their entire focus, love to God. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know that in the Bible, uh, as you would, I'm sure a lot of you know this, in the Bible, the word love is a verb, something that you do. You can't say, I don't feel love for God, so I'm struggling with what to do with this. No, we're not talking about your feelings. We're talking about what you want to do. You are to apply your mind, your heart, and your soul towards God for love. You are to dedicate everything about you. A true man is one who dedicates his whole life to God. There is nothing in a true man's life that is not to be examined and given up to God. There is no space where you are, give, you are giving just to yourself. Okay, here it's just me in my corner. No, everything about me is for God, to God, as an, a sacrifice of love toward God. It's easy to say that, everything. But let's talk about some of these specifics. Your heart. In the Bible... The heart is the center of all direction in life. The heart is the center and the control of all the emotions and all the, 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 true, the true feelings of where the person is at. The heart 
is in, is in one sense, when you read about the heart in the Bible, the heart is essentially the, you know, when you think about the old, um, the old ships that they used to have back in the day, that, that used that, that um, steering, that basically you turn the steering wheel this way, and that's where, and you sh- you're expecting the ship to go like this, and you turn the steering wheel this way, the ship to go like that. Well, that's the heart. In, uh, in ancient thought, that's what the heart is. The heart is the, is the very control center of your life. Everything of that when he says you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it is to mean that the whole direction of your life is supposed to be Godward. Everything, the whole direction, what what you allow yourself to feel, what you allow yourself to enjoy, how you are to how you are to be and what you are to hope for in the future, all of it is to be directed towards loving God. Think about your mind. Think about your thought life. Consider just today. What did you think about today? What did you think about between the time from the moment you woke up, as you were brushing your teeth, as you were showering and singing? No, you don't sing? Okay. Um, What did you think about today? What, What was your mind invested in? As you were, as you were doing, continuing your day with your classes or your work, what were you thinking about? What was, what, what was consuming you? What was motivating you? What was in your mind? All of that needs to be directed to, needs to be in the category of love towards God. Your mind, when it is waged, needs to show someone who loves God. All of your thoughts and, and what you allow yourself to, to linger on. You know, we sometimes think that our thoughts happen to us. Sometimes that happens, where thoughts come from external, just from nowhere. But generally, our thought life is a habit, a habitual pattern of who we are that reveals what's really in our hearts. All of this, your, your habits, the, the things that you are cultivating in your life in general... Gentlemen, that should be an expression of your love towards God. How you work should be an expression of your love towards God. Do you know what one of the things that um, movies and, and television series and all of this have achieved without suddenly? Is that it is possible for someone to live life and go through situations in life without giving a thought to God. Notice how you, you're watching movies, the situations, there's things that are happening, there's, you know, the whole, the whole theory is that there's a story, then there's a problem that happens, and then there's, a, then there's a, the issue, we see the problem, and then, then we, we go towards the resolution of the problem. That's the whole point of drama and all of this. And what TV and movies and all of this Hollywood has conditioned us to see is that a person can go through all of this without God. A person can drink a cup of tea in the morning without giving thanks. A person can go through their work during the day without giving thanks to God for their work and without thinking about what God thinks about what they're doing. What, what the media has done very well is to show us what life looks like without God being practically real. 
and they only depict God in the category of religion or in the category of, you know, when people are hurt and sad. He has been relegated to particular aspects, but we have now been accustomed to seeing what it looks like to live your whole life in all different spheres of life, dating, getting a job, uh, I don't know, buying a car, all of these things. We have now been conditioned, our senses have been conditioned to see what all of that can look like without giving a thought to God. Your mind, your mind holistically must be God's. It must be His. Your mind must be stayed on Him. You cannot solve that problem of calculus without worshipping God. You cannot solve the conflict in your life without thinking towards God. You must. All of it is towards God. It is all to be done for God. I'm not saying something weird like, you know, you're always thinking God, 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 even as you're, you're trying to write an exam, God, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all of your thoughts, your whole mind, as you're doing all of these things, you are, you are, it is with the flavor and it is engulfed, as it were, in the steam or in the smoke of love towards God. It's flavored with love towards God. You're doing this. You're applying yourself in your studies. When you set your timetable to go study, you're applying yourself thinking about God. You're applying yourself as you... You know, as you go toward your to your lecture, you see your friends, nobody's paying attention to this guy who's come to, well, he doesn't come anymore, right? He's on TV now. He's on a computer screen. But he, this lecturer who's come here and he's giving a lecture and, you're, you, and, you're, and you're, you and your friends are having a good time chatting here. You're not honoring him because you're not thinking about God. You're not paying attention to this man. You're not doing to this man as you love them to you. Let me tell you something. Like if, if I'm talking to you, I'd like you to pay attention to me, please. Like otherwise, why am I talking? But we have desensitized ourselves because we are now able to separate life in categories that do not include God. What does God require of me at this particular moment? I'm in a lecture room. This man is talking or this woman is talking. Let me honor them and honor the image of God in them by paying attention. Let me not lie to my peers or my lecturer or whoever and, and find a, a far, quick and fast way to turn in my, my paper late. No. Let me set time to work towards getting my paper in because God requires that I tell the truth. You see, it's very practical. It goes into every little thing. Your mind, how you reason, should not be influenced by the world. It should be influenced by love for God. God, I want you to be pleased. I want, I want you to see, I want you to be pleased with how I am living toward you and towards your glory. So I'm going to do everything and I'm going to order everything with you as the chief of what I'm doing. That is what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all of your soul. Gentlemen, this means so much more for you specifically. In your relationships with women, gentlemen, this has a lot to say. Do not defraud the ladies around you. When you interact with ladies, do not defraud them. 
Do not let your actions communicate something that is not real. Gentlemen, I want you to look at me right here now. It's going to be a bit awkward, but let's just bear with it. You, 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 need, you need to not be defrauding people, especially the ladies. Don't defraud people. Act towards them in a manner that is honorable before God. Almost look through them and see them as one who is made in the image of God. One who belongs to God. And it's even worse if they're a daughter of God. Because then you're in real trouble. If you mess with God's daughter, what do you think it's going to do to you? Do you understand there's no way in the Bible that says we as believers, as Christians, we have full access to God. The, the, the veil was torn. But the only time that we are told in the New Testament that your prayers will not be answered and they will be not heard in heaven, they will be hindered, the effectiveness will be hindered, is when God is talking to husbands and says, Husbands, live in the right way with your wives so that your prayers will not be hindered. How you treat God's daughter is going to determine how God treats you. If you are flippant with these daughters, I'm, it's not, just because it's not, she's not your wife doesn't mean that God will not hold you accountable. If you are flippant with these daughters and treat them in which, whichever way, communicate the whole world to them when you know in your heart that that's not what you mean. Or even the converse. Communicate that they mean nothing when they mean something to you. Defrauding people and lying to people and twisting and using people and objectifying them, God will deal with you in accord and you do not want that. This is very serious, gentlemen. Love for God requires that in everything, in all spheres of your life, your work, your relationships, your social time, your downtime, your uptime, your driving time, your showering time, your bath time, your swimming time, your Dragon Ball Z time, your Pope, what all of your time, everything needs to be done as unto God. You with me? Gentlemen, we have painted a picture of what you ought to be. We're painting a picture that you ought to be, in Genesis we saw that you ought to be men who create order out of chaos because you are made in the image of God and God expects you to act like He does. We have painted a picture in Genesis 2 uh, that uh, you are to seek out a wife. Um, and when you seek out a wife, you take care of her, you leave mom and dad, and you go create a new unit. Um, we have painted a picture in 1 Corinthians 16 that you ought to do all that is necessary in light of what God requires. That you are to be courageous. You are to act like men. In Isaiah 6, we have painted a picture that you are to be tremblers. That you are to be fearful of only one place. God and God's word. You are to go to God to get instruction and leave. And create. Imagine this picture of a man comes in prays to his God, read God's word, trembles at God's word. He's, he's thankful to his God for, for giving him instruction. And then he leaves while he's shaking because he's just been in the presence of his God. He's now leaving that room.
and he stands upright and he walks courageously as he walks out to do the will of the God that he has just received. That's the man that we want. That's the man that you ought to be. Go into your prayer closet. Tremble before him. Come before him. Throw yourself, throw yourself on the ground praying to, praying to him, adoring him, worshipping him, receiving his word and then stand up straight. Go out into the world and do his will no matter what comes. I am a man. I fear only God. See? I am a man. I fear only God. That's your mantra. I am a man. I only fear the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus said, do not fear men who can only do something that is really nothing, which is to kill you. Rather fear the one who after has destroyed the, the body can destroy your soul in all eternity in hell. That's the one you ought to fear. And in Matthew 22, we've painted a picture of a man who loves God, who applies all of his faculties toward his maker. God's word is everything to him. His mind is to be captive to him. He is to take God's word and hide it. Uh, you, you know that Psalm, Psalm 119, says, how can a young man keep his ways pure? By, by guarding it according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Gentlemen, that verse is specifically for you. It applies to ladies as well. But that verse is yours. Take it. Run with it. That's the man that we want. That's, that's the man. That's the man we want to be. We want to love the Lord. We want to give no, no opportunity to sin. No opportunity to laziness. No opportunity to lust. No opportunity to covetousness, envy, unnecessary anger, bitterness. We want to give no opportunity to that because our whole mind and our whole heart are given over to loving God. That's the man you ought to be. Are you with me, gentlemen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord in heaven, your word challenges us. Even as I say these things, I'm, I'm trembling because I realize that I am not this myself. Lord, your word calls us to a higher place. You are calling men to follow you uh, no matter the cost, to apply themselves in every way towards you. Oh dear Father, we ask that you would help us. Help these men. Help these men here to love you. Help these men here to be courageous. Help these men here, Lord, by your Spirit to tremble at your word. Oh Lord, help them to use their faculties in a manner that is honoring to you. I pray, Father, that just from this small group of men here, we would have a remnant. A remnant of men who will not listen to the world, but only listen to you. A remnant of men who are humble, who are at the same time strong and courageous. A remnant of men who love and take care of the ladies around them. Lord, if you make them husbands, that we would have a remnant of husbands here 
who lead their families with God at the center, who honor their wives, who treat them like queens, who give them the honor, the most honored place. Lord, if you were to raise up leaders of our society here, Lord, may we have from this group of men here, a group of men who are creators of order in a place of chaos. I do pray, Father, that you would redeem. If there is any here who does not know you, if there's any here, Lord, who's already messed up in their manhood, Lord, that you would redeem, that you would work and change them. Father, it is only by your Spirit we can do any of this. We are dependent upon you. And we are praying, Father, for your help. We are praying for help from on high, the resurrection power by which Christ rose again, that would be in us and help us to walk in this upright way. I pray, Father, that your will will be done in our lives, that we would know the love that God has for us, and that we would walk in light of that love to be good men, men of honor, men who are above reproach. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.